Well, good morning. Welcome to Community Church. Wow. This is great. So this morning, we want to say with our whole heart, God, we love your precepts. We love your truths. We love the way you do things. The way you do things is not just better. It is the only way. And we want to say today, God, that if anybody's going to change, it's going to be us because you do not change. Amen? So let's worship him this morning. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The authority. The rulership. Right now, some of you are experiencing warfare as you're attempting to move into a place of worship. All of the devices of the enemy are focused to keep you from really giving him honor and glory. And so he sparks fears. He sparks physical concerns. He sparks pain. He sparks memories of heaviness and all kinds of offenses. This is the time to press through. We say, let your kingdom come. We say, let the name of Jesus, Jesus, it is not your imagination. There is war going on right now. If you're watching online, there is war in the room that you're in going on right now. But there is authority for dominion in Jesus' name. Every knee will bow in Jesus' name. Every demonic spirit, every whispering philosophy of darkness will come under subjection. So in just a minute, we're going to do our morning announcements, and then we're going to go back into worship. But we need to understand what's going on. We sleep, right? We go to sleep every night. We need, you know, anywhere from five to eight hours, some of you more, every night. But there was a, uh, I think it was the name of an album years ago. It says, Russ Never Sleeps. Rust never sleeps. And it's indicative that there are things going on while you sleep. <laughs> the enemy doesn't sleep. He's looking for every opportunity. But the good thing is this. We have authority. We have authority. We have authority to say no. We have authority to expand the influence of God's kingdom. And the weapons of our warfare are powerful. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But we have, to, we have to be vigilant. We have to be aware. We have to realize. We have to realize what we're facing every day. And not give an inch. Not give an inch to depression. Not give an inch to hopelessness. Not give an inch to negative thoughts. That's why the Apostle Paul said, Listen, if there's anything good, anything wonderful, anything righteous, anything clean, think on these things. Why? Because it advances your capacity to expand the kingdom of God. So that's what we're here to do this morning. We're here to work out those faith muscles, to be reminded. You know, uh, Peter, 1 Peter 3, 1. I, no, for, 2 Peter, I think it is. Peter says, listen, I'm, I'm writing for the second time to stir up your sincere minds in remembrance. We have to remember that the world that we see, the world that's around us, the things that are invisible to us are the most important things. So if they had to be reminded, we have to be reminded. Amen? But we're stepping into a realm in this season where the sons and daughters of the king will be distinguished in the earth. Hallelujah. I want to be part of that. So this morning I'm seeing an image of the temple and uh, Jesus is standing in the temple and he's saying, come, come in. And he's not saying it to all the healthy because historically you had to be healthy and whole and perfect to come into where he was. But he's saying to all these broken and, and sick, oh, sick people come in and as they accept the invitation... They receive the healing. And so sometimes God will heal us because we ask. Or he'll heal us 
because it's just the time of healing and you can enter into it and miraculously. But actually this morning he's asking you to accept the invitation of healing. There's something that has to happen. It's a prophetic act and you have to say, yes, I'm going to go to where you are. I'm going to come to you this morning. I'm going to accept the invitation that you are extending to me. So just as a prophetic act this morning, I Put your hand out this morning. Just take his hand and say, I'm coming into where you are, Lord. I'm coming for my healing in whatever area of my life, be it financial, be it spiritual, be it uh, mental, oh God. If there's something wrong with my mind and the way I'm thinking, I'm coming into you. If there's a physical healing that I need this morning, I'm coming into you, oh God. I accept your healing. I accept your invitation to come where you are today. Oh, God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the healing. We thank you for the invitation. We thank you for your extended hand this morning. In just a second, we're going we're gonna to shift, and I'm going to share, and then we're going to go back into worship. But I want to sing this song because it really ties into some of what I feel the Lord is challenging with us this morning. Let's bless Do you know that you have the power of blessing in your mouth? You know that God's not angry with sinners, right? God is angry with sin, but you know he loves sinners. He loves the unsaved. He loves the wounded. He loves the people that are walking diametrically opposed to him today. And we are not the ones to heap condemnation on The Bible says that Jesus said they're already condemned. Well, we want to bless them. We want, to, we want to pave a path to the doorway of their hearts that says, you are loved. So let's sing this song prophetically. And let's bless our community. Let's look out as far as your spiritual eyes can see, whether that's the neighborhood that you live in, whether that's to people across the nation or across the globe or, or people outside of the, your, the, the, your neighborhood, whatever it is, just begin to bless. Purposefully release life. You have power to release something right now. Let's sing this. God has made you to be a blessing. This is why the Apostle James, when he's discipling the believers, he's writing to them about the fact that, listen, you're, you're cursing, and that's not great. This is not what you were designed to do. You were, you were designed to bless. You're designed to be a, a fountain of hope, not a fountain of criticism, of negative opinions, of perfectionism that brings everybody else down you're you're meant to be the cheerleaders of everyone in your world so father we pray today lord make us as a church a vessel of hope a fountain of life for this community in this region we pray in jesus name can you say amen all right you know if you're not a musician if you're not a singer, if you never had to lead worship in an environment like this, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a few things you may not understand. Things beyond our understanding. But one of the things is worship. Sometimes we think, you know, like, like the ability to be musical, to sing or to play an instrument, is not the majority of what it takes to lead worship. Did you know that? Leading worship is far more than singing songs. And yeah, you should be able to sing properly. But the breakthrough needed in worship goes well beyond the musical abilities that we possess. The spiritual capacity to bring a breakthrough. That's why the metron of different worship leaders across the earth is as diverse as races. I mean, there's just a, a, a massive diversity in terms of the capacity, in terms of what can be done. And, and so we need to appreciate that. We need to, 
be supportive. You know, we lean a lot on the worship leaders. We lean a lot on, you know, we can come in here. We, we have the luxury as, as non-worship leaders and non, not part of this team to come in and, you know, finishing up our coffees and having three or four extra conversations and sort of, you know, meandering our way into the presence of God, so to speak. Uh, but, but there are things postured against the worship team that you may not know. Partially because of who we are as a church here. Because of the apostolic prophetic destiny that's on this church, there is a requirement that may not be on other churches. And so you have this duality that I see all the time. People come in and they visit. They think, wow, the presence of God is so great here. Until you have to do some of the pushing. Then it feels like a lot of work. It's like, man, it was way easier when I first started to come here. What happened? Well, you've been enlisted. And not by me, but by the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember, I didn't really understand this, but I, I had, and I'll try and make this part quick, because I, I do have a lot to say. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But I'm leaving. I won't be here next week. I'm leaving to Tennessee early tomorrow morning, and I'm going to be in Guatemala next week with uh, Lance Wallnow, Cheyenne, uh, Cindy Jacobs, Robin Garcia, a whole bunch of uh, significant voices from across the world. It's going to be great. Get to preach at my friend Robin Garcia's church next Sunday. Um, but uh, so I'm going to take this opportunity to share with you some of the things that are in my heart. Some of the things I understand that I've God has accumulated into my heart over years and years of experiences. Because you know what? We're always looking through a glass darkly. That, that means, and I, that's why I love it when I see Jesus, his competence and his confidence when he goes to minister healing. You know, we, we're like, I hope this works. <laughs> you know, Jesus seemed to have a competency that was much higher, a confidence. We can have that, but, you know, it's not going to come without trial and error. And, oh, man, there's so much we can say about that. But when it comes to different jurisdictions, this church is not your typical church. Why? Because we're, we're, we're not feeding into just the people in the room. A lot of times you go to a church and you're ministering to people. You're only ministering to the people in the room. And that may seem obvious, right? Well, we're, we're just in the room. Yeah, but it's not, well, is it because they have, other churches don't have social media? No, it's not that. There is a spiritual metron that each church has equal to its capacity and its purpose that's given by God. And so when you're in a church that has a very small uh, regional um, calling, it's much easier to minister because you're actually only ministering to the people in the room. But invisibly, you can be in one place and you're not just meeting the needs of the people in the room. You're actually touching miles and miles away. And you're feeling the weight, the warfare, the resistance of not just the strongholds and the struggles of the people in the room, but people from miles away. Well, how does that happen? That's, that's a part of that realm that we see through a glass darkly. And I didn't understand that. But I, I came to understand that gradually through, and there's a couple of pivotal experiences I had. One of the first ones was at, Christ, um, at Church of Zion in Vancouver, Vancouver with David and, and Gideon. I remember preaching there, and I'm, I, you know, I, I remember the first time I'm going to speak there, and it, I realized, I'm thinking, it's really hard to speak here. I mean, the presence is so rich. Why is it so hard to speak? Why is it so hard to get clarity here when there's obviously a presence? There's obviously an authority. There's, I mean, the room is filled with some, you know, really global leaders. You'd think it would be easier. And the Lord started to say, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. No, the bar is higher here. What it, what it takes, because of the warfare, because of what you're up against, there's a global mandate on this church. So when you're ministering here, you're not just ministering to the hurts and wounds in the room. You're not just tempering and, you know, dealing with attitudes and feelings that are, that are just 10 feet away from you. You're, you're touching realms, so the resistance in the spirit is much more. And I saw that up front. I remember seeing... People come in who are competent ministers, global ministers, you know, people who are in every way 
incredibly competent and crash and burn on the stage that was Church of Zion. <laughs> and they couldn't figure it out. They thought, I know how to do this. What's going on here? Well, it may look like a room like every other room, but this room is bigger than you know. That's a reality. And if God has called you here, he's called you here for a reason, because he wants you to participate in more than just this room. But do you see, do we see beyond the room? So I remember one time a friend of ours from South Africa was scheduled to minister at Church of Zion. And she came in, she's a good lady, wonderful lady, you know, really good teacher, good speaker. And she gets up and she starts to speak and she rolls a little scripture, I think from Jeremiah or something. She reads the scripture and I'm thinking, oh no, because I really like her. (laughs) And I lean over to Wendy and said, she don't got it. This is going to be ugly. I literally said that. And I felt bad for her. I thought, like, and I, I wasn't in charge, so I didn't know what to do. And I'm not even sure how many people were aware of this dynamic in the room. Well, she starts to share, and uh, I could see it on her face. She doesn't feel any connection with the room. And, uh, and she shared maybe a handful of sentences. She stops. She looks around. She closes her Bible, and she says, this is not for today. And she sat down. I thought, oh, yeah. Hallelujah. You, you went way up in my esteem. Because I, I not, not because I was mocking others that didn't, but, but the fact that you saw that, that you had clarity on a moment like this, that says something about your capacity, your sensitivity, your awareness of your metron and how far it it goes and how far it can't go. And the Lord began to show me, he said, Mark, there's some, some places that the threshold for success is tiny. Tiny. And if you don't hit that tiny little mark, there's no breakthrough. You know, and so what happens is ministers who are used to having a massive target, like if I hit anything within this eight-foot round circle, we get breakthrough, we get presence, we get a dynamic anointing, we get a release of the Spirit. And so, and they come into another world where that target is like this. And the first thing you say as a minister is, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> and that's, that's, part of, that's part of the warfare because the enemy is, yeah, because he is hurling accusations and vitriol against that church in the spirit. And your frustration can easily cause you to be enlisted in their cause. And that's a whole other thing. But I remember a few years later, I, I was, you, you know, you, you have a moment. Here's, here's the way spiritual revelation has. We don't understand things. We see through a glass darkly, but we, we have a moment where we perceive something. We're like Mary, the mother of Jesus. It says, Mary pondered all these things in her heart, right? She's, you know, angelic visitations, you know, uh, virgin birth, shepherds coming in. We saw the angels of God. They said this. They sent us here like something. Mary's like, I don't know what this is, but this is not usual. And she, she took note of the uniqueness of certain things, and she pondered them in her heart. She said, I don't understand this, but there's something here. What, what is this? And she didn't understand it right then. But later on, and this is the way you see this pattern in Scripture, later on, it all comes together for us came together like that for the apostles. We see that when Jesus said this. They didn't understand it. They thought they understood it. They thought, oh, you know. But later on, ah, that's what he meant. Because you see a larger picture. So let me put this out here right now for us all to begin to absorb. How big is the picture you see right now? And is God able to add little parts that you don't understand, little trails of breadcrumbs to lead you to conclusions that you may not come to for yet two more years? You know, one of the parables that Jesus gave, he says that, that this, the, the, the 
powers of the principalities and powers that when we don't understand the word of God or something God is speaking, he comes and he takes it away. Why? Because we don't understand it. And we have an, uh, an affinity for getting rid of things we don't understand, dismissing them, explaining them away, because we like to understand. We feel powerful when we understand. So anything we don't understand, it's like, that makes me feel less. So it's probably not significant. <laughs> Mary didn't do that. She held on to things she didn't understand. Because something inside her told her, no, this is significant. Take note. And so I've had many, 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 thousands of moments like this, really, down through the years. And the reason I come to those big conclusions is because I've grabbed a whole load of things, like, There's, this is something. This is something. This is something. This is something. I don't know what it is, but this is something. I'm not letting it go. And then God mysteriously assembles it together and shows me something I never could have seen had I ignored or dismissed or disqualified that little moment here and there. So there are thousands of little moments that God is adding to your life that that are going to add up to something tangible. And so this is one of those things. And I remember being up in Prince, uh, no, Peace River. I was speaking up at Peace River. I was living in Vancouver at the time. And, and I didn't realize it, but the worship leader and youth pastor was Rodney Fortin. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember going to that church, and I, I knew the pastor. Um, I had met him before. I, I can't remember his name now, but it doesn't matter. We all get caught up in those unnecessary details, right? <laughs> but uh, and I'm at this church and I'm thinking the presence of God is beautiful I say, it, it was really really rich and, and the breakthrough of the presence came very quickly and very easily and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking Lord I'm, I get to worship with some really heavy hitters back at Church of Zion and it's never this easy <laughs> it's, it's never this easy like like why, why is it so easy? Because I, I can feel the, the church, and I can't explain it. I can feel the maturity level. I can feel the capacity, and it's not significant. And I'm thinking, why do they get this when we got to fight like crazy for something like this? And that's when the Lord, out of that moment, began to share with me metrons of authority. He said, Mark, when you... When you're watering a piece of grass that's two feet by two feet, how long is it going to take for that water, to, that piece of ground to be saturated? <laughs> Not very long. When you got a mile by a mile and you're watering, is that saturation going to appear quickly or is it going to take some time? It's going to take some time, Lord. So what do you think you need? More hoses. Right? You know why I push the way I push? Because we need more hosers here. <laughs> I think I've come to the right people. This room is filled with hosers. And if you don't know what that means, ask an older person. <laughs> but here's the point. There are, there are dimensions of the kingdom of God and how it comes to the earth that God is desperately looking for us to understand. But they're, they're not necessarily commensurate with our understanding of a worship service. Because there are, there are elements that are invisible to our understanding. They're beyond our reach. We see through a glass darkly. But there's way, way more to this. And God is saying, listen, I am looking for people that can comprehend some of these things. And blessed are you that God, God by his spirit is showing them to you. You are privileged that God called you here. And I, I would say that anywhere. Because we're all privileged. But I'm just aware of the honor that we have here at Community Church to, to press in, to develop, to, to, to be a part of the release of something that's unusual in its scope, in its reach. So the practical nature of that means that on any given morning... You know, uh, we, there's, there's a need and there's a supply. 
Sometimes we get, you know, God's the supply. Well, God has actually said, no, you're the supply. That's part of the message that God gives us, the sons of God. You know, Jesus, I'll say it again, I'll say this over and over and over. Jesus, his disciples came and said, you know, send them home. We don't have enough food. We got like a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread. There's thousands here. Send them home. Jesus said, no, you feed them. That's the way he does. He likes to do that. He's always looking for somebody to say, that thing you wanted me to do, you do. Now, there's a time and space in your life where you're not capable, so he doesn't say that. He's not going to exasperate you, but he will stretch you. So, you know, he's not completely unaware of your inability, but he always provides uh, the means for what he asks of you. He always, he never asks more than he thinks you're capable of. So the very fact that you're here in this place means I can go to town. (laughs) <laughs> and so but it's hard it's it's hard for me because you know what I don't want people to hate me I like to be liked you know but but when I I feel and I have this tremendous tension in me I feel the need for breakthrough and when we're worshiping I'm not just hoping this will go good I am feeling the resistance. I can feel the scope of that resistance. I can feel uh, the, the lack of manpower in the room to meet that requirement. And so part everything is, is, is designed to try and pull us into participating in breakthrough. But what if we're reluctant? What if we don't want to? What if we're tired? And what if we're discouraged ourselves? What if we're just resentful? Stop telling me what to do. Ah. Uh, like, that's the tension. You gotta, it's always hard when you have a volunteer army. You know, militias are the worst. Right? You, you study history. You know, the regular forces, they're paid, they're disciplined, they're, you know, they die if they don't go to war. You get hung, you get shot. The militia, voluntary. So they're always careful. The generals are always careful. Don't put the militia in a particularly precarious position because they will run. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is uh, an infamous part of military history. This is a reality. And so part of what's going on in our journey here is what do you want to be, regular forces or militia? And, as, and what the Bible talks about, if, and this is the hope that we have, is my people will be volunteers in the day of my power. In other words, they're going to be like militia, but they're going to be as diligent as regular forces. They're going to be as committed to this war as the paid soldiers, but they're going to be volunteers. So that's what we're moving towards. And so I, I apologize sometimes. You know, I, I challenged a few people today. You know that because I'm, I'm feeling the warfare, feeling the need for manpower, and you know, uh, I, not everybody's on the page. Some of us are like, you know, I'm just digesting my coffee. I'm just waking up still. I'm just having a little extra chat and a visit. And we love chatting. We love visiting. The fellowship is great, but when the battle alarm sounds, there needs to be a sense of priority that that. I hear the sound. I'm willing to respond to the sound. My, my involvement matters. My, my adding my bandwidth, the bandwidth of my faith, the bandwidth of my sound. Because when you add your bless you, bless you, bless you to our community, it matters. And you might be in the place in your life where you're just starting to even realize that your sound matters. And so, and that's fine. That's, 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 that's a part of the journey to be in that phase. But let me tell you, up front, it matters. It totally matters. So, with that having been said, listen to this scripture. Uh, Genesis 126, and God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Got to love that right there. And you might think, that brings up a question. Let me pause here for a second. It brings up a question, right? Because, because at the fall, something happened. 
And we know that in Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus' image being marred more than any man. This is a sidebar, and this may be more than you're ready for, but I want you to think about this. What do they mean? What did the, what did the prophet Isaiah mean? Because Jesus was flogged. He was, he was beaten. He was, you know, beat up pretty bad. But he wasn't marred more than any man in the natural I mean, there are people that have been ground to dust. You know, pulverized, crushed, nothing left. Jesus didn't even have any bones broken because that was a part of the sacrifice. What's it talking about then? It's talking about sin causes deformity to the image of God. You know, one of the reasons why we tell you not to sin is not because we want to keep you from pleasure. Sin has pleasure for a season. We don't want a deformity to the image of God. That the part of the journey that we're on is transforming you back into the image of God. The transformation that has been afforded, that's made possible, is to change the image of who you are to align with the image of who he is. He said, let us make man in our image. God's purpose is for us to look like him, to act like him, to be like him. To have the character, the nature of God. And sin destroys that nature. It's caustic to the nature of God. It eats away at the fabric of the things. Some of you haven't been serving the Lord maybe the way you should. And you're playing with sin. Do you know that the image of God that was fabricated and pushed on you that through, through the faith of your parents as they exposed you to the word of God, that the, 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 the image of God was being formed in you, and each day you spend away from his presence, you are eroding the very thing that you have to redo later. Why is that important? Because there's destiny. There's people here in this room who have destiny. And the destiny that you have is contingent upon a certain conformity to the image of God. And so when you delay aligning that image to the image of God, you delay destiny. And so it's not a matter of guilt. It's a matter of divine urgency for your purpose. Because all the satisfaction that you need from life is going to come out of walking in his time, in his place, in the way that he wanted you to, in his purpose. And it requires conformity to that image. It's not insignificant. Well, you say, well, yeah, God, but God can forgive. God's mercies are new every morning. Absolutely. But the destruction to the nature of God inside of you that sin does must be undone, and that takes time. It t- well, not only time, it takes encounter. Now, thankfully, thankfully, we're entering a time when our capacity for encounter is going to be much greater than it's ever been. But that's also contingent on the same, same things we're talking about, right? But I believe we're coming to a time when sinners who, who for years have been walking in unparalleled evil are going to step in this room and within weeks be aligned because of the level of the glory. The level of the glory. The level of the glory. See, this is what we're after. We're after a level of the glory that brings change to those things inside of us, even the things you're trying to change right now. Because there's a whole world out there that doesn't know a thing about godliness. They don't know a thing about self-denial. They don't know a thing about the cross. They don't know a thing about the image of God. But they, when God reaches out and grabs them, he wants to take them to a place where they can be transformed quickly. And the level of glory that's in the room will determine how quickly that transformation takes place. Well, how fast could it take place? Well, what does this Bible say? It said, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. It says that we will be changed. We will all be changed when we see him as he is. In a twinkling of an eye. This is the, the nature of the power of God. This is the nature of the glory. I want you to know, and this is a sidebar. So not even what I was intending to say. But the glory of God that God is wanting to visit with the church is so powerful that it has the capacity to instantaneously change you into the image of God, into the complete fullness of what he intended you to be. That's what it's saying in Corinthians, when we shall all be changed. Just how long is it going to take? Boom, like that. You're one thing, one second, boom, you're done. 
You're different. You're different. But that's going to take a lot of heat. You know, and you think, well, that would be great. It would be great, except you're the ones that are called to stoke the fire. For them. For you as well. But for them. Remember when they were, you know, think of a literal fire. Remember they were stoking the fire to throw a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in? The guys who made the fire died. Right? That's a hot fire. So God is saying, listen, community church, I've given you a mandate. I've given you a call. I've given you prophetic promises. I've given you uh, uh, disciplines and, and training and a word and promises. I've given you all these things to bring you to a place. But the fullness of this is going to unveil and unfold under the power of a manifestation of glory. But that manifestation of glory is gradually being amped up. But it's only being amped up not according to my desire, but according to your desire. So how long must I wait for this promise to be realized? Because we think, oh, we're waiting on God. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. God is always waiting on us. Oh, There are breakthroughs just ahead. There's some of you in this room. It's like, I never, I don't know when Mark's talking about this, when people are prophesying about realms and dimensions. I don't feel anything. I can't see anything. I don't even know if this is real at all. What if suddenly today God can bring a significant breakthrough in Revelation so that these things begin to become second nature to you? It is real. It is real. Thank you, Lord, that you've hidden these things from the wise and you've revealed them to babes. Okay, I was reading my first scripture, Genesis one twenty six, and I didn't even get through half the verse. That's that's good sign. There's a richness in the revelation of the Lord, in the knowledge of God that's in the room right now. So let me start reading again, trying to get, not to get distracted and get to the end of this thing. And God said, let us make man in our image. Oh, I, I just read that and I feel the deep desire of God. <sighs> I hear Jesus saying about the fire, he says, I would that it would already kindled. The deep desire of God is to make us in the image of him, to restore creation, to release, to release, to release heaven on earth that begins to change mankind, his people, to transform us instantaneously. Oh God, we say, do it. God, we want to feel the urgency, the passion, the depth of what it is you're doing. We say, oh God, more. Oh, God, come on, yeah. Let that, let that desire, it's like God is planting a seed of immense desire inside of you. He's elevating the sense of urgency for transformation. And, he's, and I feel the heaves of intercession inside of some of you right now. What, what, what you're hearing in the groans of others. The Bible says that God has put a seed in us and that that seed is groaning to be released from the limitations. It's wanting to come to the fullness there's an image behind the DNA that's in that seed. And God is saying, listen, there's a deep desire inside of you that has accompanied that seed. And he's nurturing right now. He's massaging that seed with the warmth of his presence. Oh, God, amongst all the desires that you place in our heart, let this one be foremost among them all, the desire for transformation, the desire to see your face, the desire to be penetrated with the light of your presence. Come on. This is what it says in Romans. It says creation is waiting for us to cross a threshold of alignment, of a threshold of... Uh, transformation 
where the likeness of God is seen in us at a sufficient level that tells creation that creation is about to be released. Listen, the power for redeeming creation is not in heaven. It's here on the earth right now, hidden in earthen vessels, groaning to come forth. Longing to break out of the husk that is your humanity, your soul. Father, bring forth new creations in their fullness. Let this be a generation where overcomers, sons and daughters, aligned to you, emerge and begin to walk the earth to the degree that creation begins to celebrate. Imagine that. Imagine the stars and the sun and the trees beholding you and saying, Here they come. This is the deep desire of God. Now, what is it unto? Why does God want you to be changed in this way? (laughs) Well, I just hinted at it. But it's because he has in his mind dominion. He has in his mind that the agency through which the earth will be repatriated into the purposes of God is not the angels and the wonderful beasts that are in heaven that are before the throne, but these vessels nurtured and born in in, in the earth, in the dirt of this defiled planet. He said, look, I'm going to take a glorious seed. I'm going to put it inside it, and through them, I'm going to do this. So that's why he said the following. He said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the connection. The image of God in you always results in dominion. This is the paradigm of the kingdom. Do you lack power? Do you lack authority? Do you lack influence? Do you lack an ability to subjugate the world around you to what you know is the righteousness of God? The Lord is saying to you, the authority to do that is in transformation. That the more that you are transformed into my likeness, the more organically you begin to rule and reign. <laughs> that sense of powerlessness, that sense that, that uh, you know, the, the, there's much bigger personalities, there's much more gifted people, there's much more this and that. Hogwash, to use a Greek word, The power for dominion was inside of you and has always been inside of you and it's based in transformation. If, this is the Father saying, if I can bring you into the next level of the likeness with me, all your problems will go away. The things that are frustrating at you, the things that are biting at your heels right now. Listen, you men who are struggling still with lust, you people, young men that are under pornography, though these things are a manifestation of a lack of dominion. You see, I don't want to go into this too much, but the root of pornography and sexual sin of that nature is a pursuit of power. A pursuit of power. What is missing in your capacity for dominion is realized in your sexuality in a perverse way. And God is saying, if you want to be free from sexual lust, if you want to be free from the bondages of pornography, come into alignment. Come into dominion through conformity to me. That this will resolve. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. Yeah. Listen, think of this. When I say to you, let's press into God's presence. Say, I don't want to. I'm tired. I did it last week. I don't want to feel stupid. It's, it's too much trouble. You're saying, I'm leaving dominion on the table. Because in his presence, we are changed. And in his presence, authority to rule and reign, beginning with your own body, begins right there. 
See, God, God is not against us. He's, he's saying, listen, I want to give you your autonomy. I'm going to restore to you that which the thief has taken away. This suppression of your willpower, this, this mastery that sin has over you that takes you captive at his will. I want to reverse that. Freedom. Freedom is what the kingdom of God is bringing to you. So I feel in the room right now, God's just reminding me, so just connect with me for a second, of a story when I was 14 years old. And just for anybody that doesn't have context, I was in this church doing worship, and I was in a realm. And I remember talking to Ken Bittner, because Ken was my guy. Mark was here, but Ken was my guy. And Ken said to me, I want you to start almost leaning less on me, and I want you to start hearing Mark and I remember thinking, ah, all he talks about is Canada and these, these things that, honestly, like, if I can worship and water my grass here, I see results. Does that make sense from what Mark said? And I remember being frustrated and him saying, you need to, and he said it that way, you need to lean in to Mark and what he's talking about. I was 14. I feel there's an invitation in the room this morning from the Spirit of God. I'm going to hold back my tears. But this is the invitation I feel. I believe that as Mark is talking this morning, and he keeps going after it, right? And this, and this, and this. But there comes a point that I feel even as Mark's going where it kind of hits this, okay, <laughs> okay, right? Like I'm trying. There comes a point where our minds actually shut off and God goes, I want to, and the word I hear is infect you with the reality and revelation of what Mark's talking about. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord saying as I was sitting there, why do we come to church? Why do we keep doing this? What is this all about? And I hear the Lord saying to anyone this morning, and even just close your eyes if you feel the Spirit as I'm speaking, I am revealing this morning, in this moment, hear me guys, God is saying, I am revealing what this, what this, you being alive, is all about right now. I am reconciling creation to me in the way that I intended it from the beginning, I sent Jesus to make a way for you and I am, I am making you back into my image, but that's also on you. And you have this right here of it's being said and, and it's almost like when Jesus would say, I can't say it plainly because you're not going to hear it. It's actually being said plainly this morning. So first I want to honor what's being released to us, but this is what's, so I honor you, Mark. This is what I feel the Lord saying this morning, and this was for me at 14. I don't get it, but if there is a spark inside of you that as Mark is speaking, there's something in your spirit that goes, I think I agree with that. There's something eternal in what's being said, and I don't get it. Okay? If you feel that while he's talking, because he's going to keep ramming it, and you're going to go, I, I feel God saying, I just want to give it to you right now. So, this is what I see. In this moment, and I believe this is real, you're going to put your hand on your head. If you want this thing, and this, this isn't going to happen immediately, but if you say yes to the revelation of what God's doing in this moment, you will become infected with the truth of what God's saying here. And let me tell you guys something as a son of this house, this is the only thing that actually matters to me. I have become infected since I was 14 years old and, and what comes out of him is living water to me. I get to lead worship for thousands of people and do all of these amazing things here, but when he is speaking things from heaven, I go, oh, that's what it's all about and it's actually the only thing. And so I'm telling you as a son, it's real. And so... Just say to God right now, Father, 
impart this to me. Infect me with the truth and the revelation of this. I receive this revelation right now. But that's an exciting testimony. Because as I've watched Ben and Jenna develop, it has so much to do with their ability to hear and their willingness to hear. The Apostle John got more from Jesus than all the other apostles. They weren't the same. They weren't all the same. Some, in terms of trust, they stood more at a distance, arm's length. You know, we, we stay at a distance for our own safety, but it's based on distrust. What did John do? He, he had physical proximity, which reflected trust, desire, and a capacity to receive. That's why even the fundamental nature of the revelation of John is different than all the others. And just to show that God is not a respecter of persons and that seniority isn't how the kingdom works, he grabs a guy late in time named Paul and gives him a revelation that seems almost superior to most of the others took him to heaven, showed him things. Why? Because he wanted more. (laughs) He leaned in. He wasn't insecure about his identity and needing to protect his name and his reputation. He, He wanted more. Lord, give me the most challenging truths. Let it change me. And so... In this room, we all have a place of proximity equal to our trust. And it's not a trust of me, but trust of the Lord. See, and I don't want to talk about this today, but when God puts an anointing on a human vessel, that human vessel is not perfect, but the anointing is real. And you're not saying that person is perfect when you're pulling on that anointing. You're saying, I trust God who chose this vessel to put it in. There's this radical independence, isolating power that causes us to live at a distance from the flames of glory that could change us. Hear me. Because we're about to enter a time when the Pauls begin to show up. They're coming. The Pauls are beginning to show up. And they're going to run at a pace and they're going to acquire the revelation of God at a pace that will make your head spin. They're not, they're not interested in learning church culture. They're not interested in learning how to get ahead in the PAOC. They're not interested in what do I do? What behaviors are most accepted here? Let me let me say. Oh, I I lift my hands. They're 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 operating. They will operate by a whole different grid. They will hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they won't care about the authority structures that others are trying to navigate up. They'll they'll step into a realm of the glory. They'll be changed, and suddenly. They'll be moved to places of authority that we long for our whole life and we, don't even, we won't even know how they got there. Why were they chosen? Who are these people? Lean in. Lean in. It's for all of us. I know some of you are more disposed than others to, to function in an atmosphere that we, we operate in here. But let me tell you, there's something available. Yeah. Let's cry out to God. If there was a beginning of an intercession, of a, of a groaning inside of you, I want you to embarrass yourself and release that groan. If there was any move, if, you know, if there was any groan at all, if there was any uh, unction, if there was any longing, 
give give sound to that longing. Chris, do you have something to share? Just before we go into this, you know, I was going to just announce at the end of the service, you know, about April 9th, we're, we're going to be doing a testimony service because we're believing that God's going to do some powerful stuff. And we're also going to be doing communion that Sunday, but we're also going to be having a baptism service. And I'm actually believing today that we're going to have a number of people getting baptized on April 9th. We have a fellow right back here, Mr. Brandon, who's been coming to our church for probably the last month, who has an amazing testimony of what God's doing in his life. God has transformed this young man in a powerful way. And he's going to share a little bit of that testimony on April 9th. But I'm telling you something, I'm believing for way more. You know, there's a movie flooding North America right now called The Jesus Revolution. I went to it on Thursday with my wife. A reminder of what took place in 72. When everything seemed like it was going to hell and all of a sudden God showed up and everything flipped in a heartbeat. I'm telling you something, I'm believing that this movie is a catalyst for something to shift in our nation and the nations. I'm believing for the same things that happened in 72 to happen now. I'm believing that we're going to see souls get saved. I'm believing there's going to be transformation in communities. I'm believing it's going to happen now. And it starts with the body of Christ rising up and beginning to to, to declare it as truth, to raise our voice and to agree with the Father and everything he wants to do. So as we go back into this, I want to ask us to stand to our feet. I want to ask us to push past our mindsets, our thoughts, our weekly issues and problems. I want us to join in with him in not just fighting for ourselves, but fighting for a nation and the nations. And Father, right now we're crying out for a revival to hit the nations in a greater way than it did in 72. We're believing something's going to shift in these churches. And when these people show up, God, we're not going to reject them. We're going to open the doors to every single one of them. And we're going to say, lead the way in Jesus' name. And right now, if you're in this room or watching online, and if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, today is the day. Call on his name. Ask him to come into your life, and he will transform you. He will shape you, reshape you. So today, if you don't know Jesus and you're in this room, I'm going to tell you to come and talk to me before you leave this place. And if you're online right now, I'm going to say phone this church this week and get a hold of us, Spruce Grove Community Church. We want to see transformation, not just in this church, in this city and in the nations. Amen? So let's call on his name. Let's raise our voice. Let's raise a shout. And let's fight for what he's fighting for in Jesus' name. What we're doing today is important, but it's only one amongst many proofs of our desire. If it's the only expression of desire, it will fall flat. Because tomorrow, you're going to go out there, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with people, some you know, some you don't know, some are new, some are have been around your whole life and they're going to rub you the wrong way and something's going to come up that you know is ungodly. How you deal with that ungodliness that starts to sprout up out of irritation, annoyance, anger will be the ultimate proof of the sincerity of this cry. It's important that we do this. And there's a humbling of ourselves that's happening here. But tomorrow there's a different humbling. And Tuesday there's probably going to be a different situation. There's many orbs, many versions of the challenges that prove our sincerity and our deep desire to be different and to take responsibility for our lives. God is not mocked. You can do this a hundred times, but if you don't do it elsewhere... It's meaningless. So we're saying, God, sh- I, want, I want to cry out for the truth. I don't want to defend my ungodliness. I don't want to defend the nature that you're trying to destroy. 
I want to change. I want to bring it to the light. I want to bring it to the fiery flame. I was wondering how this is going to work in because I was I had been thinking about this. We we were told about a movie this week, and so we watched it. It's kind of a bizarre movie. It's called The Phantom of the Open. I'd never even heard it before. But it's this guy, I think he's Irish, probably, because the Irish have that audacity. It's this Irish guy, and it's a picture of his life, and he starts talking about his father and his father's father and how the shipyards working with the brawn of their arms was basically, you know, it was a kind of a social caste system that that's, everybody from our neighborhood, that's where you end up. You're working in the shipyards. But he, something sparked in him that he could have something different. And he began to think audaciously. And he began to put that expectation into his children. And so as the story plays out, one of the sons goes to college, gets a business degree, becomes a, not a brawn worker, menial laborer, but a manager, a significant manager in the ship company, like highfalutin job. This is unheard of. This, his class of people never did this before. His two son, sons love disco dancing. <laughs> Another era. They become world champion disco dancers. At 50-some years old, this guy is watching professional golf and says to himself, you know, I think I fancy being a professional golfer. And he decides he wants to golf in the British Open. And so <laughs> he goes out and tries to golf. He's terrible. I mean, he's, he's the worst golfer ever. But through a series of weird things, he ends up registering for the British Open and he's, he's in there. Like, he's only started golfing a couple of months ago, and he's in the British Open. I'm thinking, well, is he going to turn out to be this amazing golfer? The worst ever. He has the worst score in the history of the British Open by a mile. <laughs> they try to kick him off because the organizers are embarrassed. He and say, he decides he's going to play. He doesn't make the cut. They want him to quit after nine holes. He's got 63 strokes after nine holes, twice what the pros have. You think, wow, that sure put him to shame. That sure, and he struggles with that. But you know what? He says, I'm going to give it a go again. But they've already determined they're not going to let this guy play in the open again. But he gets a costume, and he comes as this French professional golfer, and he plays again. <laughs> the story is amazing. He ends up playing in the British Open like seven times, registering the last time by the name Arnold... No, no, it was Paul Mateer or something like that. <laughs> Some, I mean, it's hilarious, ridiculous. But you know what? He, he broke out of the containment of people's expectations, what they said he couldn't do, what they said he, he wasn't. They, I mean, the, the things that evolved out of it, he didn't win the, anything ever, but a tournament was started in Grand Rapids, Michigan, by his name and ran for like 10 years, where they invited bad golfers and family members to do things because they'd always had a tournament, but it was always for good golfers. This was a tournament for bad golfers. And it provided an entry level for people who couldn't golf to golf. I mean, it, fantastic things. But there's something kingdom. There's something kingdom in this. We are so afraid to look bad. We never venture past what we already believe ourselves capable of. And so we lock ourselves in agreement with principalities and powers and accusations and assaults on what you're not, what you are, because we're always afraid to look bad. And we, we take this narrow path of life and never break out. And he showed, well, you don't have to become something. But his sons became something he could never have become because he took a tack, a direction, a journey most were unwilling to take. Most were willing to do minimum labor jobs and pass that on to their kids and for generation after generation a spiritual caste system 
It's reflective of that demonic stronghold we're trying as sons to break through. This is what these songs are about. Jesus is looking for a harvest of people. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be great. I've got a seed. I've got a magic seed I want to put in you. And if you, if you let that seed have its full expression, you won't believe what you can become. This is what I'm believing for. So you may think, well, you guys are a little audacious here at church, community church, thinking you can be all that. You know what? We might not end up being all that. But as a wise man said, I'd rather shoot for 90 and get 30 than shoot for 10 and get it. Let's shoot for 100. And if we get 50, 60, 70, 80, it's way better than the 10 we would have been happy with. There's transformation in the air. Somebody's going to grab it. Somebody's going to run hard. Somebody's going to humble themselves. Somebody's going to get those breakthroughs. It may as well be you. It may as well be us. God, there's infinite knowledge, revelation, gifts, apostolic mantles, authorities, services rendered to this community, to our neighbors, to our city, to the, to the church abroad, Uganda, Cambodia, Canada, Spruce Grove. God, we say we are coming as volunteers. And even if we don't become anything distinct, we will give our lives in service to your name. Because you will have your inheritance. You are worthy. Bless you. You're free to go.